listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. You can enjoy more messages like this and more with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. To invite Michael to speak to your group, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. Hold on to your seat and open your heart as Mike teaches us from God's Word. All right, we've got a lot to cover today, and we're going to start with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 in our Lord's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this, all scripture, in reference to the Bible, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions." and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is God's charge through the Apostle Paul to a man he was mentoring named Timothy. It is God's charge through the Apostle Paul at all times, everywhere, and will be until Jesus Christ returns for every pastor, every elder, every Christian leader to have the same mindset, to do the work of the ministry while we still have time. There is coming a day when the last person on planet Earth will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Until that day happens, it's time for you and for me to be busy about the Lord's work in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if ever there was a time for that to be realized in the United States of America, that time is upon us. It is here and it is now. It's time for you and it's time for me to re-examine what it means to be a Christian in the United States of America. What does it mean to be a Christian in the United States of America? We are so used to the Bible being quote-unquote preached and taught without any relevance or application to current events, that when somebody stands up and seeks to take the Bible and apply it to current events, it seems like it's out of place. It seems unusual. People don't know how to take it. And I'm not talking about people in the world. I'm talking about people in God's house in the church. If ever there was a time to take the timeless teachings of Scripture and apply them to the United States of America for you to be on fire for Jesus Christ, that time is now. Amen. What I'd like us to do through the miracle of technology is take a trip back in time to the evening of December 31st, the last day of the year in 1957 when Dr. Billy Graham was addressing 
thousands of students at a missions convention in Illinois, at the University of Illinois. These students were considering whether or not they were going to give their lives in complete surrender to Jesus Christ and serve Him as missionaries. So I'd like us to go back in time and listen to what Dr. Billy Graham had to say on December 31st, 1957, and let these prophetic, timeless, timely words sink deep down into who you are as we apply the question, as we examine the question, what does it mean to be a Christian in the United States of America at this particular time in history? Let's listen. Now tonight, I want you to turn with me to Ezekiel, the 22nd chapter. The 22nd chapter of the book of Ezekiel. And the 30th and 31st verses that have been used very often in missionary addresses. You remember that we have four prophets, four major prophets. And the reason they're major prophets is not because their message was more important than the minor prophets, but because the books happen to be longer. And so they're called major prophets. And one of the major prophets is Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is prophesying in Babylon. Many of the children of Israel had been carried captive over to Babylon. And Ezekiel was a prophet prophesying and preaching to the people and the burden of his message all the way through was you are sinners against God you've rebelled against him therefore repent of your sins or even further judgment is to come and then in this chapter Ezekiel talks about the prophets he reviews the sins of the prophets and I'm sorry to say that the prophets are guilty of sin. They have misled the people. And then he says the priest have profaned holy things and he rebukes and reproves the priest for having handled holy things lightly. And then he speaks of the princes, those that have been in governmental authority and he talks about their sins and then he comes to the people and he says that the people have been guilty of many gross sins and he says that judgment has come and judgment will come again then he says this God speaking through the prophet and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore, have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. And here we have an unbelievable picture we have an almost impossible picture for us to comprehend. The great and the mighty God of the universe, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, who is from everlasting to everlasting, 
in majesty and glory and power, this mighty God is among us tonight in this gymnasium at the University of Illinois on the last night of 1957 on the threshold of another year, searching, looking, searching, questing for a man, for a woman, for a young man or a young woman that will stand in the gap and make up the hedge. God is searching for a young man or a young woman that will say, Lord, I will be thy man in Africa. I will be thy man in South America. I will be thy man in the jungles at the headwaters of the Amazon. I will be thy man in Formosa. I will be thy man in Indonesia. I will be thy man. Oh, Lord God, so help me tonight. I will give myself to thee to be at thy disposal to send me and direct me in any direction that thou dost plan. But God said of the people in that day, but I found none. And we read in Scripture, if I may say it reverently, of emotions with God. And I can almost hear the sob as God says, I found none. I couldn't find a man in all of Israel that would pay the price. I couldn't find a man in all of Judah that would stand in the gap and make up the hedge. Therefore, because I could find none, there is no alternative but judgment and destruction. The world tonight is engaged in a titanic struggle. And there is a philosophy that is sweeping the world like fire called communism that many people believe to be a Christian heresy. Lenin began in 1917 by going across part of Germany to Russia with 40,000 men and today, today, they control about 800 million people and are penetrating every part of the world and they are challenging the Christian church as it has never been challenged before and they are teaching us some lessons and I would to God that we Christians learn the lessons before it's too late. And the great lesson that they are teaching us tonight is self-denial, discipline, dedication, and commitment. And the New Testament is filled with it, but we have forgotten New Testament Christianity and communism has to come and teach us something of the things that Christ taught us. I have in my hand a letter that was written by a communist student at an Eastern University after he had gone to Mexico to be and became a communist in Mexico, writing to his fiancée, breaking off their engagement. Here is in part what he said, and this was given to me by the minister of the Presbyterian Church in Montreat, North Carolina, where I live. And here is what it says. 
We communists have a high casualty rate. We're the ones who get shot and hung and lynched and tarred and feathered and jailed and slandered and ridiculed and fired from our jobs and in every other way made as uncomfortable as possible. A certain percentage of us get killed or imprisoned. We live in virtual poverty. We turn back to the party every penny we make above what is absolutely necessary to keep us alive. We communists don't have the time or the money for many movies or concerts or T-bone steaks or decent homes and new cars. We've been described as fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for world communism. We communists have a philosophy of life which no amount of money could buy. We have a cause to fight for, a definite purpose in life. We subordinate our petty personal selves into a great movement of humanity. And if our personal lives seem hard or our egos appear to suffer through subordination to the party, then we are adequately compensated by the thought that each of us in his small way is contributing to something new and true and better for mankind. There is one thing about which I am in dead earnest, and that is the communist cause. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife and mistress, my bread and meat. I work at it in the daytime and dream of it at night. Its hold on me grows, not lessens as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating to this force which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people, books, ideas, and actions according to how they affect the communist cause and by their attitude toward it. I've already been in jail because of my ideas. And if necessary, I'm ready to go before a firing squad. I want to ask you tonight, do you have that much dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ? I tell you tonight, Christ demanded no less. Show me one verse in the Bible where our Lord demanded any less of those that follow him. If we could say one thing about what Christianity has become in the United States of America, I think it would be appropriate to say that it's been watered down. That we have a serious case of spiritual amnesia. We do not understand the Jesus of the Bible. We're not teaching and preaching and submitting to the teachings of that Jesus that are throughout the Bible. Remember that all of the Bible is the teachings of Jesus. The entire Bible presents the teachings of Jesus Christ. It seems like we've lost our way. What does it mean to be a Christian in the United States of America at this particular time? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for me to be fully surrendered, fully dedicated to Jesus Christ? Well, here are just a few scriptures to remind us of the high calling that God has placed on your life what should be prioritized in your life and in mine, how we should be living for Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says this, 
we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Powerful. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Is your life characterized by that type of an approach to Jesus, that type of an approach to Christianity? Because if it isn't, you have forgotten what Christianity is all about. Look with me at the book of Colossians in chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And so, the apostle Paul says, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The idea that's presented here is that there should be growth. There must be growth. There will be growth if you are following the Jesus that you are professing. But we have forgotten the importance of growing up in Jesus Christ, of going further, of flying higher as a direct result of our surrender to him. Let me read it again. Colossians 1, verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Does that characterize your walk with Jesus Christ? It must if you're following the biblical Jesus. This is what Christianity is all about. I know that it's been replaced with a self-help religion that we just add Jesus on top of whatever it is that is the meal of the day. And the uncomfortable teachings of Jesus, the hard teachings of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus that will make the greatest difference in our lives have been marginalized. So that when we look at the cross, we understand it for personal gain and personal salvation, but we have a very weak understanding of what Jesus meant and what Jesus means to the Christian living in the United States of America when he said, take up your cross daily and follow me. The complete, absolute, perpetual death to ourselves and the embracing and the commitment to a higher calling, a divine calling from God himself, to follow God himself, and not to be looking at the world to see who is following. It's time for us to, to draw a line in the sand and to say it does not matter who is following. What matters is whether or not you are following. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present 
everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. When we read these verses, we get the impression of Paul being serious about Jesus Christ, being serious about not only the gospel, which is important. The gospel is salvation by giving your life to Jesus Christ, believing that what he did on the cross was for you. That he took your place, took my place, and we give our lives to Jesus and we have all of our sins forgiven. And an eternity with Jesus when this life passes and eternal life begins at the very moment we accept Christ in this life. That is the gospel. But notice Paul wanted the Colossians to go beyond their understanding of mere salvation. Let me read it again. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Maturity in Christ must be your endeavor if you are following the biblical Jesus. And it is not possible to be mature in Jesus if you don't understand or if you are not embracing all of the teachings of Jesus. You cannot follow a God you do not know. You will not follow the biblical Jesus if you do not embrace his teachings. And other people will not be able to follow the biblical Jesus if you are hindered from proclaiming to everyone with all wisdom the full counsel of God. Paul was integral to the fulfillment of God's mission and vision, and so are you. So am I. God wants you to obey Jesus. He wants me to obey Jesus in such a way that people look at our lives and they say, I want who you have. What does it mean to be a Christian in the United States of America at this particular time? I think we've been trying the wrong Jesus. I think we've been trying a religious system of do's and don'ts that does not have, is not characterized by the power and the presence of God. So if you're tired of that, I am too. More importantly, God is tired of that, and he offers to you and to me the same truth, the same promise, the same hope, the same vision, the same mission that Paul understood and embraced the same vision and mission that led Paul to write these words that should also be your words. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Your life, my life, the life of a real Christ follower must be characterized by such toil. And so when we get to Colossians chapter 2, In verse 8, these words should be particularly potent in your life and in mine. Colossians 2, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. 
Many Christians in the United States of America are following philosophies and teachings that are contrary to absolute and utter dependence upon Jesus Christ. Many of us are following an unbiblical Jesus. And we wonder why our lives are not characterized by the power of the biblical Jesus. What is needed in the United States of America at this particular time in your life, not your neighbor's life, in God's house, not only the White House, what is needed is for God to get such a hold of you that you can say, to this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. It's time for us to rediscover what it means to be fully committed to Jesus Christ, to look at what's happening in the United States of America. Yes, I'm going to have the audacity to bring these scriptures to bear in light of what is happening in the United States of America. It's time for you and for me to take an inventory to ask God, God, have I been toiling with your power? Has my endeavor been to present everyone mature in Christ? Has my endeavor been to be mature in Christ? Have I become satisfied with simply living in the foyer of my spiritual house? Imagine if you went out and bought a mansion, a beautiful mansion that would make your neighbor envious. And all you did was set up residence in the foyer. You didn't go into the living room. You didn't go into the bedroom. You didn't go into the bathroom. That would be a problem. You didn't go into the kitchen. You set up your residence in your foyer and then you sent out invitations and told all of your friends and family to come and, and participate in a housewarming party. Your friends and family would come and say, what is wrong with you? You've got this beautiful mansion and you've set up residence only in the foyer. Listen, it is not only the gospel that God wants the Christian to embrace. It is all the teachings of Jesus Christ. All of the teachings of the biblical Jesus. Look with me, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. The Great Commission says this, something that should be the marching orders, it must be the marching orders for every single Christ follower, whether you are a missionary in a foreign land or a missionary in our land. Where is God's man at this hour in the United States of America? Where is God's woman at this particular time in the United States of America? It's very easy for us to say, well, God hasn't called me to a foreign land. God hasn't called me to an unreached people group. But God still has called you, still has called me, no matter where we live, to prioritize the Great Commission. That as we go, wherever we go, we are to be sold out to Jesus Christ, to be fully devoted to him, surrendered to him, and committed. That's something that the world will sit up and take notice. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe some of the things that I've commanded you. Is that what it says? And why are we living as if that's what it says? Teaching them to observe 
all that I have commanded you. All that I have commanded you. All that I have commanded you. And by the way, that does not mean just the words that came out of Jesus' mouth as recorded in the gospel. He is the word that became flesh and lived among us. He taught the apostles. He taught the Christians. He teaches us that all of the Bible is about him. All of it. All of the Bible provides the teachings of Jesus. So we have to understand and rediscover we need another knock on the head or really a knock in the heart to embrace what it means to be fully devoted to Jesus Christ in the United States of America at this particular time. You might be familiar with the Lord's Prayer, particularly important section in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 says this, the Lord's Prayer, we've all heard it, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You kind of get the impression that Paul and Jesus agreed. But the real question is, do you agree? Is it possible to follow the biblical Jesus in a half-hearted way? Is it possible? Yes, it's possible, but is it appropriate? Is it appropriate to follow Jesus in a half-hearted way? Is it appropriate for the Christian living in America to stick their head in the sand while Rome is burning? Now, if anything might be said about Christians living in America these days, it'd be, it could be said that we have a serious case of spiritual amnesia. We do not understand the teachings in the Bible that we say we believe and that we want others to follow. Now, I want you to understand some contextual things here as we start to apply what these scriptures mean in light of recent events in the United States. I would love to just preach and teach the Bible in a country, in a nation that was secure and the future of that nation was not in question in terms of my ability to preach and teach the full counsel of God to help present everybody mature in Christ, but unfortunately things are unraveling at a very, very rapid pace, and I have to hit the pause button. We have to hit the pause button. We need time to process what is happening and to examine ourselves, to let God examine us, to ask the question, what does this mean for me as a Christian living in the United States of America? What might this mean for Christianity and the will of God to be advanced or hindered for future generations in the United States of America? Last Thursday, the California Ninth Circuit of Appeals issued a seven to four ruling that the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution does not guarantee the right to conceal and carry a firearm. Now, I know, all right, there are many opinions and views about firearms, many views about whether we should conceal carry or open carry. This is not a message so much about firearms as much as it is about the court's decision and the ramifications for all of the amendments. What's been conveniently forgotten in the news is that California already prohibits open carry. The Second Amendment 
says a well-regulated militia, comma, being necessary to the security of a free state, comma, in other words, that's one part of it, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, if you can't open carry and you can't conceal carry, then what do you do with the firearm that you have? On June 9th, writing for the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro summarized the court's ruling this way. Quote, this of course is surprising, the court's ruling, given that the actual language of the Second Amendment explicitly declares the right to bear arms. And bearing arms means carrying them. The court truly just wants to allow localities to regulate firearm ownership out of existence. Or, like the practice of religion, to restrict the right to the privacy of your home. The ruling of the Ninth Circuit Court signals that the incremental destruction of the Constitution is well underway. What does that mean for you as a Christ follower who lives in the United States of America? And I know you can say, I can say, well, there are people in other parts of the world who don't have the Constitution. This is for you, Christian, living in America at this particular time in need of bringing the Bible to bear on what's happening. The ruling of the Ninth Circuit Court signals that the incremental destruction of the Constitution is well underway, is becoming increasingly popular, and is accelerating before our very eyes. Ben Shapiro makes this brilliant observation. Quote, incrementalism is the explicit goal. Of course, many will never say they want to ban all firearms. Instead, they'll just destroy the right to bear arms piecemeal. They'll say that you have no right to open carry, you have no right to concealed carry, and you have no right to have guns in your home. Voila, gun rights destroyed. The left uses the same logic to destroy freedom of religion. Here's where we're going. You have no right to practice your religion in the workplace. You have no right to teach your children your religion. Your church has no right to operate as a business in the public sphere. Voila, religious rights destroyed. This is how the Constitution is rendered meaningless. Not in one giant full frontal assault, but day by day, case by case, this is also why the Second Amendment matters. The government that can carve away your gun rights can carve away all other ones too. End quote. Why is the Ninth Circuit ruling important? If the ruling of the Ninth Circuit Court is challenged and affirmed by the Supreme Court of the United States, if justices are appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States who agree with the Ninth Circuit Court's decision, then it will signal the demise of far more than only the Second Amendment. The entire Constitution and America as we know it Christian living in America will be a thing of the past. This is nothing for Christians in America to take sitting down. We need to be on our knees. We need to be calling out to God. We need to also act responsibly as Christian citizens. You need to care about what's happening in our nation. The Constitution does matter because as a Christian citizen, you and I are called to uphold the law, to make sure that we are a nation of laws, that we abide by laws, and that those laws honor God. 
Now, if you haven't noticed, Jesus Christ is not running for president this year. If he was, I'd vote for him, and I bet you would too. There are things being said by both of the presumptive candidates in the two major parties that make my blood boil. Both of them say things, stupid things, controversial things, things that sometimes get under my skin and they get under yours too. But the real question that we need to be asking, apart from individual opinions, we need to have candidates and parties under the scrutiny, under the lens of Scripture, as to whether or not they support the Constitution or could seek to subvert the Constitution. Very important for us to understand. You need to seek God and select the candidate and the candidates whom you feel will best allow Christians the freedom to proclaim the full counsel of God to help people understand what it looks like to live godly lives and to help people learn how to live maturely in Christ. Remember those scriptures we looked at just a little while ago? This freedom will be hindered. Listen. This freedom will be hindered if we have elected officials who believe that our God-given rights recognized by the Constitution can be regulated. Now, I want to show a video clip from Secretary Hillary Clinton and a particular comment she recently made when interviewed by George Stephanopoulos. And I want you to look at this beyond the issue of the Second Amendment as we transition now and we begin to look at how this could affect, how this philosophy could affect the First Amendment. Let's watch. But, but I want to ask you a specific question. Do you believe that an individual's right to bear arms is a constitutional right, that it's not linked to service in a militia? I think that uh, for most of our history, there was a nuanced reading of the Second Amendment until uh, the uh, decision by the late Justice Scalia uh, and there was no argument until then that uh, localities and states and the federal government uh, had a right, uh, as we do with every amendment, uh, to impose reasonable regulations. So I believe we can have uh, common sense gun safety measures consistent with the Second Amendment. Uh, and in fact, what I have proposed is supported by 90% of the American people and more than 75% of responsible gun owners. Uh, so that is uh, exactly what I think is constitutionally permissible. And once again, you have Donald Trump just making outright uh, fabrications, accusing me of something that uh, is absolutely untrue. Um, but I'm going to continue to speak out for comprehensive background checks, closing the gun show loophole, closing uh, the online loophole, closing the so-called Charleston loophole, reversing uh, the bill that Senator Sanders voted for, and I voted against giving immunity from liability to gun makers and sellers. I think all of that can and should be done, and it is, in my view, consistent with the Constitution. And, and, and the Heller decision also does say there can be some restrictions, but that's not what I asked. I said, do you believe that their conclusion that an individual's right to bear arms is a constitutional right? If it is a constitutional right, then it, like every other constitutional right, is subject to reasonable regulations. Could have been somebody from the Republican Party or the Libertarian Party saying the same thing. 
As a Christian living in the United States of America, you must filter everything that a candidate says and everything that a political party says through the lens of Scripture. And here's what I want you to begin to comprehend and begin to think about very deeply. If the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution, quote, like every other constitutional right, is subject to regulation, end quote, by the federal government as Secretary Clinton interprets, what would this same philosophy mean for the First Amendment? What would happen if Supreme Court justices and federal justices who hold to this same viewpoint are appointed to the courts? Consider how this could impact the First Amendment, which reads as follows, quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances, that is, to set a wrong right. Simply put, the philosophy that just happens to be espoused here by Secretary Clinton, if held by anyone, anybody, regardless of their party, regardless of their political affiliation, it could be used to appoint justices to the Supreme Court and the federal courts who embrace the same philosophy and rule accordingly. If this happens, then Congress could indeed introduce and enact laws that absolutely regulate religion, that absolutely prohibit the free exercise thereof, that absolutely abridge the freedom of speech or the press, that absolutely hinder the right of the people to peaceably assemble or to petition the government for grievances. In other words, America as we know it will be gone. The Constitution will become irrelevant, and this would have a direct impact on your ability and mine to present people mature in Christ, to advance the kingdom agenda of God. I want you to think about this very carefully in light of Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, on top of the scriptures we've already looked at, on top of the scriptures we've already looked at. Look at Matthew 28, 19 through 20. This is God's call for you and for me as Christians living in America. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe some of the things that I've commanded you. And why is it that we seem to be living as if that's what it says? Why is it that we're not concerned with the possibility of this being infringed upon, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you? All that I have commanded you. See, the teachings of Jesus aren't only those in the red letters that you might read in the New Testament. The teachings of Jesus are in all of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. We see Jesus continually doing that. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and lived among us for a while. The teachings of Jesus are found in all of the Bible. And it's God's desire that people everywhere who are followers of Jesus Christ teach other people how to observe all of the teachings of Jesus. Unless, of course, somebody steps in, humanly speaking, and wants to regulate that. In whatever name, for whatever motive it might be. All right? Look at how this impacts Christianity in America and why you should care. 
No government can regulate what we now believe about the commands of Jesus. But, but if the government can regulate our freedom to teach, then the government will indeed obstruct our ability to help others believe and practice what Jesus commanded. The government could absolutely affect what people in the future will be able to believe if they can prevent us from teaching it. If a government or any leader within the government, any leader, I don't care what they look like, how eloquent they might be, the color of their skin or their political party, if any leader within the government seeks to enact a law or an interpretation of the law that is at odds with our God-given mandate, Christ followers will be faced with the choice of either obeying God or man. We have an obligation to do all that we can to see that men and women are elected to office and that justices are appointed to the courts who will not hinder us in our calling to follow Jesus Christ, to obey him, and to teach others to do the same. As an American Christian, as an American Christian, you have an obligation before Almighty God to evaluate political parties and political candidates objectively through the lens of Scripture. You have an obligation before God to evaluate how their beliefs will both impact your freedom to follow Christ and your ability to encourage others to do the same without hindrance if they're elected to office. Colossians 1, 28, 29. Look what it says again. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. No, the government cannot regulate what we now believe, but if it can regulate what we teach, if they can hinder our freedom to do so, then it will absolutely affect our ability to present everyone fully mature in Christ. The government could absolutely hinder us from helping people in the future become mature in Christ. If a government or any leader within the government seeks to enact a law, or an interpretation of the law that is at odds with our God-given mandate. And here it's to present everybody mature in Christ. Christ followers will be faced with the choice of either obeying God or man. We have an obligation to do all we can to see that men and women are elected to office and that justices are appointed to the courts who will not hinder us in our calling to follow Christ, obey him, and to teach others to do the same. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly, look at that, godly and dignified in every way. You get the impression that God is concerned about every area of life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. That is the will of God for all people everywhere. And woe to anybody who wants to go on a collision course with Almighty God and therefore his people who have been given the mandate to teach other people how to live godly and respectable lives in every manner. No, the government cannot regulate what we now believe, but if it can regulate what we teach, then they're putting themselves at odds with our ability to help people learn exactly how to live godly, dignified lives in every way as God desires. This should concern you as a Christian living in America. The government could absolutely hinder what people in the future will be able to believe if they can prevent us from teaching it. If a government or any leader within the government seeks to enact a law or an interpretation of the law that's at odds with our God-given mandate, Christ followers have an obligation to do all we can to see that men and women are elected to office and that justices are appointed to the courts who will not hinder us in our calling to follow Christ, to obey him and to teach others to do the same. As an American Christian, you have an obligation before God to evaluate political parties and political candidates objectively through the lens of Scripture. You have an obligation before God to evaluate how their beliefs will both impact your freedom to follow Jesus Christ and to encourage others to do the same without hindrance. Without hindrance. Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 29 says this. When they, the leaders of the people in Jerusalem, had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, speaking of Jesus. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Is that your cry as a Christian living in the United States of America at this particular time? Are you concerned about the possibility of the First Amendment, which perhaps is the greatest of all? They're all important. Are you concerned about the possibility of somebody regulating the First Amendment in the name of fairness, in the name of equality, in the name of whatever it might be? Because if it is regulated, then somebody other than God will tell you what you can and what you cannot teach your children, what you can and what you cannot teach your coworker, what you can and what you cannot teach people who come to your church. And that will affect everything about our capability to present everybody mature in Jesus Christ. That will absolutely affect our ability to help people fulfill the will of God in accordance with what we read in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 6, that God wants people everywhere to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and God and Master and Lord. That God wants people everywhere to live godly, dignified lives in every way as a Christian Living in America, it should concern you if anybody in any name for any reason wants to restrict your ability, my ability, our ability to preach and teach all of the teachings of Jesus. It's not only about the gospel, friends. It's about the whole Bible 
and putting it into action ourselves and encouraging others to do the same. I do care about being able to advance the kingdom of God and the will of God as, with as much freedom as possible, and you should too. You must, if you are a Christ follower, living in the United States of America. I do care about godliness because I know how terrible it is to live life without godliness. I know from my own failures and being in the mud, being somebody wallowing in the mud, how terrible it is, how much bondage you can be in. I've been in bondage before for no other reason than rejecting the full teaching of Scripture. And how many of you know exactly what that's like too? People need to know what the truth is from Almighty God so that they can live godly, dignified lives in every way and be spared from trying to live life like a pig wallowing in the mud. And if somebody says, you can't teach this and you can't teach that to whoever it might be, they are getting in the way of your calling before Almighty God to fulfill the mission of God and to be salt and light. Nobody has the right to regulate what God says you are called and commissioned and commanded to do as we seek to help everybody observe everything that Jesus commanded. We cannot cherry pick the teachings of Jesus. I do care about presenting every man mature in Christ, and you should too if you're a real Christ follower living in the United States of America. I do care about teaching people to obey everything Jesus commanded because if we teach selectively about Jesus, we will end up presenting an incomplete Jesus, and an incomplete Jesus is a false Jesus. We must remember the words of Paul as he wrote them. He warned the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11.4. He said, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. It's not a positive thing. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says, But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel, contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. It's no small thing to teach selectively about Jesus. We either endeavor to teach everything about Jesus, or in the end, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. If someone prevents us from teaching everything Jesus commanded, they're a hindrance to our preaching and the teaching about the real Jesus, and they become an obstacle to helping others live the kind of life that most glorifies God. It's often said that we cannot legislate morality. You've heard that. It's true that all real morality must come from the heart, and it must come from God, from the inside out. But we also must remember that all legislation is an attempt to implement a particular view of morality on the masses. All legislation. Legislation is therefore simply a matter of whose morality will be legislated. Will the legislation and the resulting morality be one that honors Jesus Christ and gives Christians an opportunity to not only embrace certain beliefs, but to also teach such beliefs as in keeping with the scriptures we've looked at even briefly today? It is important for us to understand to be a Christian in the United States of America requires what Christians everywhere have, and that is selflessness, not just being concerned and consumed with what's in it for me. 
and what Jesus wants to do in my life, but being concerned and consumed with what Jesus wants in the lives of other people. This is what it means for people everywhere as we looked at to be influenced for the glory of God. This is what it means for the will of God, for people everywhere to live godly, peaceable lives. It's the will of God. That is not possible unless you embrace God's call, unless I embrace God's call to actually be the mouthpiece of Almighty God. Where are you as a Christian living in the United States of America at this particular time? Where are the men and the women of God while we see our nation unraveling, God's plan is always one that involves mere mortals. The immortal working with the mortal to do what? To accomplish his purpose, to transform you, to transform me, to become what we otherwise would not be, to become more godly, and to then teach other people what you have in Jesus Christ. That's what replication is all about. Disciples replicate. If anything can be said about Christianity in America these days, it could be said that we all seem to have a serious case of spiritual amnesia. We seem to have forgotten who it's all about and what it's all about. We have forgotten, and we must remember. Neither the Declaration of Independence nor the United States Constitution give us rights as Americans. These documents recognize and defend rights given to us by God, not man. With this in mind, I leave all of us with the words of the Declaration of Independence and a final statement asking you to consider what does it mean to be a Christian living in the United States of America? called by God to see to it that the kingdom of God and the will of God is advanced without hindrance in our homeland. Quote, the Declaration of Independence begins, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them a decent respect of the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments, to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall see most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations 
pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security, end quote. If any government or any person within that government, no matter what political party he or she may be part of, seeks to hinder our God-given mandate to freely teach people to observe everything Jesus commanded, to freely help people live godly lives that follow from learning what Jesus commanded, or to freely show people how to become mature in Christ, then it is the obligation of every Christ-following man, woman, boy, and girl to obey God rather than man. Right now, history is being written right now. Right now. If we one day find ourselves being hindered from being able to teach others about Jesus and what it means to truly follow him, let it be said that we did all we could while we could to preserve our freedom so we could truly love, enjoy, and obey God and help others do the same. Let it be said that we truly cared about future generations and their ability to learn and observe all Jesus commanded. After all, isn't this in part what it means to love our neighbor as ourself? What we do or don't do at this key time in American history will have a direct and deep impact on the ability of others to enjoy the God we seem to be taking for granted. It's been said that all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. We have our work cut out for us, and it's hard work. It's hard work beginning with our own repentance and full surrender, a full returning to the Jesus of the Bible. The road ahead is not an easy one, but if history teaches us anything, it teaches us that the hard road is the right road. In the final analysis, this is not really our work, it's God's work. God's work in the purest of partnerships. He's doing his part and we must do ours. We must fulfill our obligation to Jesus Christ to do all we can to be devoted to him and the Great Commission, knowing that one day we will stand before the most supreme of all courts, the court of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the very court of Almighty God. And on that day, we will each give an account as to whether or not we truly follow Jesus Christ and did all we could as American Christians to help others follow him when we had every chance to do so. The cure for spiritual amnesia is to rediscover the Jesus of the Bible and to bring him to bear on the issues of the day without apology, without compromise. It is to embrace... It is to embrace all of Jesus in full surrender. This is not only the cure for ourselves, but also the solution for our country. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. We'd love to hear how this message impacted you. To share your story, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast. 
where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.